This is Professor Allen, and welcome to the Quarterbin. In every episode of this podcast, I will summarize, criticize, discuss, and review a single issue from my comic book collection, which I will select sort of at random. Any book from my comic book collection is eligible as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for it. Was the issue worth 25 cents? Was it a bargain at 25 cents, or was it still overpriced? Stay tuned and find out. For this 15th episode of The Quarterbin, I'm looking at Adam Strange, The Man of Two Worlds, Book One, from DC Comics, cover dated March 1990. Two notes before we start. One, this is a three-issue miniseries, and we will be covering books two and three in upcoming episodes. Not the next two episodes, but not too far from now. Two, each of these issues is a 48-page prestige format book, so each of the three episodes in which I cover this story may be a little longer than average. So, let's get right to it. Adam Strange, The Man of Two Worlds, Book One, had a cover price of $3.95, meaning I scored this comic for way more than a 90% discount. The story... Creatively titled Chapter One was written by Richard Bruning with art by Andy and Adam Kubert. The cover is a very solid Andy Kubert number with a determined looking Adam Strange staring right at us, ray gun cocked and ready to fire. Behind him is a panicked Alana, and behind both of them is Alana's father, the Ronian scientist and leader Sardath. Looking at the cover, the musculature in particular, you can tell that the apple did not fall too far from the Joe Kubert tree. The issue itself starts with our loving couple, Adam and Alana Strange, having a picnic on Ram. There is some tension between the couple, but that's because Adam has something to say to his pregnant wife. Listen, I've made my decision. Next time I come back from Earth, I'm here forever. It'll be you and me and Baby Makes Three. The baby is a critical plot element, as this is the first pregnancy on the planet in over 20 years. In essence, the Ronians face extinction because of a mysterious increasing sterility. So this baby is a glimmer of hope, not just for our couple, but for this world. Listeners probably know this, but Adam Strange's shtick is that he's an Earthman who is occasionally transported to Ran via the Zeta Beam, but after the effects wear off, he shoots back to Earth, hence the Man of Two Worlds concept. Anyway, the picnic is interrupted by a monster, which grabs Alana and flies away. With his patented jetpack and ray gun, Adam blasts the monster and rescues the lady. Not a sane way to live, he admits to himself. Why does it excite me so? As Sardath patches up his son-in-law and examines his pregnant daughter, we learn that Sardath has made changes to the original beam to adjust for the random nature of its timing. As I was saying, Adam, the second mega Zeta beam is one week later, if you can't make the first. We learn that these will be the last two times the transport from Earth to Ran will ever take place. Seconds later, Adam is beamed back to Earth for the last time. 
Adam visits his late mother's house and relives some of his traumatic past. His brother and sister, both much older than he, did little with him as a young child and except torment him. His frequent departures to Ran have left him without a relationship with any member of his family. He wonders why he would want to live on Earth at all. Adam meets his sister at the hospital where their father is nearing death. She is not a fan of her brother. You fly around the world, Mr. World-Famous Archaeologist. Good for you, but I'm stuck here taking care of our father. Then we get the requisite moment of irony. After father's last attack, I went crazy trying to locate you. It's like you'd vanished off the face of the earth. Couldn't you leave a number? Janie, where I go, Ma Bell don't follow. The siblings are interrupted by Dr. Evelyn Fox, Mr. Strange's lead doctor. It's not good. He hasn't long, I fear. Janie and Adam visit their father's room. Mr. Strange wheezes out a greeting to his children and asks Adam how he's been. Have you found a girl yet? No. I mean, yes. I mean... At which point, Janie asks why they've never heard of this woman. What's the big secret, Adam? We're family. All right. I'll tell you my big secret. It's time you both knew. There's this wonderful world far, far away... And on that wonderful world far, far away, father and daughter examine the progress on the Adam Strange Museum. Alana is excited with the prospect of living permanently with her husband on Ran, while Sardath sees different potentialities. Adam's permanence makes him appropriate for important political responsibilities that will be opened for him. Sardath is a leading member of the planet's ruling council, a body which he created, by the way. We learn that despite saving Ran numerous times, Adam is not universally loved by the population. As we learn from this conversation we overhear outside the museum. Can you believe this? His own museum? Next they'll put him on the High Council. Why not? Clones or aliens? What difference would it make? You want to know what's important? They're allowing half-breeds now. Yeah, why does the first newborn in 20 years have to be an alien? So not only is Adam disliked, his baby is as well. We see that Sardath and Alana are not exactly universally beloved either. As he speaks to the disgruntled Ronians, Alana watches as her father is unable to calm the unruly crowd. An old friend of Alana, a fellow named Delican, walks in on her. He comments that all of Strange's accomplishments could have been his. We sense that he counts marrying and impregnating Alana among his missed opportunities. Delican, known as Del, swoops in to break up the mob surrounding Sardath. Gee, he has a fancy jetpack too. As the crowd disperses, we learn there may be some sort of hidden political agenda among them. Back on Earth, Adam is on a bench outside the hospital where Dr. Fox finds him. Did I mention that Dr. Fox is an extremely attractive woman? Well, yeah, she is. How to go with your family? They didn't believe me, he says to nobody in particular. They couldn't have believed me. Turning to the doctor, he says, They think I'm crazy. Don't be foolish. Didn't you hear my sister scream at me? From the other wing of the hospital, 
Foxy Dr. Fox admits. They walk away together, and the doctor comments that Adam definitely needs a diversion. After Adam makes a fool of himself at a disco, they decide to go for a moonlight walk and maybe have some wine. Which, hey, that comes in handy, because Adam's pregnant wife can't have any wine, can she? Hello, Adam! Wife! Pregnant wife! But they walk and chat, and we learn that Adam's older brother died years ago in Singapore. Adam does mention that he has a woman, though he does fail to mention either the word wife or pregnant. She seems so far away, he weasels. I mean, she is. I've been with her so long that I forgot what it felt like to get to know somebody new. I mean, I don't know. Foxy Dr. Fox's only response is a smile. Back on Ran, we learn that two of the protesters at the museum are a married couple, Marlia and Krent. Marlia has joined with the rebels. I'm going to work with them to change this pathetic system. She's excited about this and wants to, um, celebrate with her husband, if you know what I mean. He snubs her advances. No children will come of this. I don't see the point. He also tells her to be careful with her efforts against the council, fearing that she may be exiled. At the High Council Chambers, Sardath is explaining that Adam Strange will be permanently on Ran after the Mega Zeta Beam next brings him to the planet, and the Council has plans for their soon-to-be-permanent hero. The maladjusted are causing trouble for our deportation process. Maybe he could help there? Sardath informs the Council that Adam hopes to at least semi-retire from full-time protection of Ran, which the other counselors do not appreciate. He'll be of no use to us if he's just a husband and father. He'll just be a parasite to the city-state. Sardath is displeased with the results. You creatures, you have not the right to speak of him like this. What you want is of no importance. I made you, and you'll do as I wish. Which is not, by the way, how good government works. Sardath storms out. Dell, the other jetpack-wearing dude, walks in and offers his services to the Council as their new planetary hero. Later, Dell offers his services to Marlia, who he finds naked at his apartment. Before they get too busy, he rebukes her for her public displays of rebellion. You're going to get banished for your stunts. Back on Earth, Adam and Foxy Dr. Fox stumble into her apartment at, oh, five in the morning. Wow, I guess I can still get drunk. You're not going to try to take advantage of me, are you, Evie? Why, you think I'm falling for you? Then they drunkenly stumble, and he lands right on top of her. <laughs> I guess I did fall for you. But before they move on to any other action, she has to check her answering machine. Remember, she is an important member of the medical community. Dr. Fox, this is Ruth from the sixth floor. Mr. Strange and 22 expired at 3.45 this morning. You'd better notify his family. Well, how convenient. One member of his family just happens to be feeling her up right at this exact moment. The next morning, the couple leave Foxy Dr. Fox's apartment. Adam tells her that he has a few more people to visit before he has to go. It'll be quite a long trip, he says, not paying attention to the car just turning the corner. It brushes up against him and knocks him down, but he rebuffs Eve's offer to take a look at him at the hospital. I really have to go. She kisses him, saying, I was afraid of that. At the Zeta Beam site, 
Adam reflects on just how beautiful a world Earth is, after all. But he realizes he has no connections here. By Earth, he says, it was fun, once or twice. And the beam zaps him away, forever. At the Ranian beam site, Alana waits for her husband, rubbing her growing belly, wondering why her husband has not arrived on schedule, fearing that he has chosen to stay on Earth, perhaps. There are protesters at this site, too. Sardath consoles his daughter, explaining that maybe the timing of the new beam is slightly off. I only know what you tell me, Daddy. What else have you lied to me about? Adam has indeed been delayed because he has landed in a weird dreamscape in which a nightmarish Sardath explains to Adam that he has killed Alana's child that he can't allow a half-breed to live. He then reveals to Adam his plan of jump-starting the Rand population may have to pan out with another man for Alana. Plenty of fish in the sea. Adam attacks this nightmare vision of Sardath. And then he really does appear at the real beam site in real life. But still suffering from the effects of the delusional nightmare, he attacks the real Sardath. I'll kill you! He busts past the security forces and begins pummeling his father-in-law. You think you control us, slug. I will not be your puppet again, slug. You power-mad sanctimonious, slug. Word reaches Dell of Strange's attack on Sardath, and he heads out on a cool air scooter type of thing. Adam tries to explain to Alana the nightmare realm he found himself in and why he attacked her father. As Dell arrives, she tells Adam to flee. Dell tends to Sardath, letting Adam get away. But he makes a promise. You're dead, Strange. When I get my hands... Why do you think superheroes are so important? People need heroes because they need somebody to inspire them, something to aim for, somebody to try to be like. One is the man of tomorrow, with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. The other, the caped crusader, carrying out a solemn vow to spend his life warring on all criminals. For seven decades, they've been the world's finest heroes. They've teamed on radio, comics, newspapers, animation, and more. And now, they're teaming up for a podcast. To the Batmobile. Let's go. Up, up, and away. Atomic batteries. Turbines to speed. Superman and Batman celebrates more than 70 years of the world's finest team with randomly chosen stories featuring the Man of Steel and the Dark Knight. Superman and Batman, featuring your two favorite heroes in one podcast together. Find it today at greatcrypton.com. If you're a diehard X-Files fan, join me, Agent Shadow. And me, Agent Chelsea as we cover all X-Files episodes and movies one by one. Just search iTunes for X-Files and subscribe to X-Files Truth.
And we're back. I first ran into Adam Strange in reprint collections from the 1970s. Along with the Doom Patrol and Challengers of the Unknown, I really grew to appreciate these more offbeat DC titles, sometimes loosely tied to the greater DCU, sometimes not connected to it at all. My aunt and grandparents had summer houses next to each other on a lake in upstate New York in the Adirondacks, and I spent many a summer in the mid to late 70s and early 80s up there. There was a stack of comics, maybe 50 or so, at my aunt's place. New ones never seemed to find their way onto the stack, so I read Joker number 2, Sherlock Holmes number 1, Championship Sports number 1, scores of times, and whatever Richie Rich and Archie issues were in that stack too. But my favorites were, without a doubt, DC Superstars of Space. These were reprint anthology books, the lead character of which was Adam Strange. To refresh my memory for the preceding paragraph, I spent some quality time at Mike's Amazing World of Comics looking through Adam Strange covers. I recognized every single cover of DC Superstars of Space, and I know that I read each of these, not exaggerating, maybe a hundred times growing up. So, to say that I had high hopes for this read would be a massive understatement. In full disclosure, I have read all three parts of the story, but I made extensive notes after each one and will attempt to confine my comments only to this issue and to be true to whatever thoughts and assumptions and predictions I had after reading only the first and attempt to set aside my knowledge of where I know the story goes. This is way different in its tone from those Silver Age space stories I read three-plus decades ago. This series does what modern comics do. It takes the original concepts and asks hard questions about them. Two pages in, we get heavy adult themes that tell us this is not our standard Adam Strange story. The emotional strain of being constantly pulled away from Earth to Ran is a situation that needed to be addressed. It is a cool superhero concept. I mean, it's John Carter. This notion of being a normal fella on Earth, but a superhero somewhere else. Look, I'm a big fan of Adam Strange, and of John Carter for that matter, and I see what they both tap into in terms of adolescent fantasy. I can be a hero and get the girl on another planet, so if I'm a nobody here on my own planet, in my own life, that's alright. But the real-life consequences of that scenario, of living on two planets, of being a man of two worlds, are potentially heartrending, and it's these consequences that Richard Bruning hones in on and explores. We see why Adam feels more at home on Ran than on Earth. There are repercussions for Adam in leaving his family behind to go adventuring on another world. On Earth, all he has left is a bitter sister and a sickly father who have continued to have a relationship with each other in Adam's absence while he has been gallivanting across the stars. And the flashbacks of his youth and his relationship with his older brother add depth to this feeling of alienation that Adam experiences here on Earth. The Silver Age explanation that the Zeta Beam was intended for communications 
doesn't hold up to serious consideration either. Now, I'm no futuristic scientific genius, but the idea of a communications beam accidentally becoming a transport beam is unusual given Sardath's description as a scientific genius. So Bruning asks the question, what if that wasn't an accident? What if Sardath intended to pluck an earthling and befriend him? Why would he do that? And the answer may involve saving Rand physically, but we see in the person of Dell that there are Randians capable of doing that, which leads us to the notion that Sardath wanted to play interstellar matchmaker for his daughter. And why would he want to do that? Because maybe the Ranians need to swim in a new gene pool. In terms of reframing the story, this version does not do injustice to prior tellings of Strange's story. What we have here is a major retcon, yes, but to me, as a casual but passionate fan of Adam Strange, I am with the story so far. All of the correct beats are there, but with raw emotions that go a long way to revealing the underlying pathos of this basic story. I was never a fan of the sci-fi trope that is all over Star Trek, for example, which posits that if we let scientists rule our world, everything will be clean, perfect, and logical. I like that the scientists can be as craven and prideful as anyone else, and that there's a Babylon 5-style underbelly to the seeming, gleaming perfection of Ran that we were given in those earlier stories. I was not able to cover this in the synopsis, but we learn here that on Ran, Sardath's machines and technology do all the work. This is one of the causes for unrest related to the Adam Strange Museum, the construction work was done by machines, and there is a bitterness over lost job opportunities. We see people who both want and need to be productive members of society, but whose government has denied them that opportunity. We also see uh, xenophobia and paranoia that are present in our own society. Given this mix of factors, maybe a large proportion would look at the heroic deeds of the itinerant Adam Strange with insecurity, or in the person of Dell, blatant jealousy. And the notion of social dissidents being exiled somewhere is intriguing as well. This version of Ran is not a pleasant world. But as a reader of sci-fi, both sci-fi prose and sci-fi comics, I like how fully formed and fleshed out and lived in this version of Ran is. I do have to say that Adam's character, however, frankly disappoints me. It seems that Bruner was not content to just gritty up the world and the political situation. He felt the need to gritty up the hero as well. Yes, I see the by 1990, Adam Strange had turned into a wooden, one-dimensional character, albeit with a lot of unrealized potential. I applaud the attempt to turn him into a more full character with realistic motivations and very human failings and weaknesses, but... Look, it's not totally clear here in Book 1 that he did go through with sleeping with Foxy Dr. Fox. Maybe the combination of alcohol and grief. He just passed out on Eve's floor. It's not clear... And I do want to think the best of him, so... I may not have mentioned this, but pregnant wife. So now, he's back on Ran forever. And she's still stuck on Earth. So whatever relationship may have been developing, that won't go anywhere. But still, 
not very heroic behavior. The verdict on Adam Strange, The Man of Two Worlds, book one, really good read in a really interesting world. I have some quibbles with a few of the changes that are being made here, but overall, a quarter bin steel. 48 pages of solid sci-fi comic book for 25 cents? Come on. You're just not going to beat that. As I said before, I have already read books two and three of the series, and I can honestly say that as soon as I finish this volume, I scribble down my thoughts and opinions and notes as quickly as possible because I wanted to dive into number two as quick as I could. And I will get to book two in three or four episodes from now, depending on how the schedule plays out. So it's safe to say that this book did what any book with a number one on it is meant to do. It made me want to read number two. Well, finally, that wraps up my coverage of Adam Strange, The Man of Two Worlds, book one, bringing episode 15 of the Quarterbin podcast to a close. In episode 16, we'll be looking at a book I literally picked out at random last time my LCS brought out the cheapy boxes. It was The Sadowski Plan, and I'll talk more about that next episode. And the book I'll be covering next time is Stormwatch, Team Achilles, number four, cover dated December 2002. If you have any questions or comments about this issue or the podcast, feel free to contact me. Information on how to do that follows shortly. Until next episode, I'm Professor Allen, and I'll see you in the quarter bin. The Quarterbin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky family of podcasts. Show notes and links are available at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com, where the podcasts Uncovering the Bronze Age and Shortbox Showcase also make their home. Links to Facebook and Twitter are there as well. Feedback for the show is welcome at relativelygeeky at gmail.com. And if you like what we've got going here, please leave a review and a rating in iTunes. It'll help more people discover the show. Thanks again for listening. Professor! Professor.